This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Final hour of the show on this Football Friday, Dan Gross's show, 98.7 ESPN, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. And as we usually do it on these Football Fridays, we bring in now the gentleman who I sit alongside for each and every pre- and post-game show, and one that you will hear this Sunday, beginning at 6 p.m., getting you ready for Jets Raiders, a Sunday night football extravaganza. It is my good pal, Mr. Greg Buttle. Hello, Greg. How are you, sir? Oh boy! <laughs> another week comes <laughs> comes into fruition, and uh, another huge game for the Jets. Well, what? Who would have beloved, right? Oh, and and another prime time affair, national TV audience, which means we get to be on the air nice and late, trying to break it all down and explain how it happens here. Um, all right, how do we get this offense going here? How did the Jets get this offense going here? There's this simple sixty-four thousand dollar question, right? I. I I, uh, I I thought about that for uh, the last two weeks, and the the only thing that I can think of right now is to is to create uh, a a doable boot and a rollout, and have three wides on one side, you know, pick and hit short passes, and you know, have guys break tackles. The, to, to keep to keep Zach Wilson, and, and again, it's almost like I'm biting my tongue here. Yeah. But to keep him in the pocket, it's almost impossible right now. So anything you do from the pocket is catch as catch can, and 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 hope they're not blitzing at the time, and uh, hope that uh, you know they're not playing man to man or something. But right now, it it just doesn't look like anything is is working for the Jets. These guys, uh, the wide receivers, look like. They they have stick them on and everyone sticks to them. No one gets separation. You have drop passes. You know, you, no one's getting contested footballs. All of those things matter, and uh, especially when you have a quarterback that needs those guys to help him out. Just make a catch. You know, don't drop it. Make the catch. Uh, you know, don't you know? Make sure you you hold up on this. You got to give me another half a second to throw the ball. So. Uh, and, and of course, Zach Wilson's not blameless, but still, the fact remains is uh, the biggest difference between the last two games is turnovers. And the Jets used to be plus five; now they're at zero. That's a real simple indication why they, they lost that game. You know what's interesting too about it? For the last couple of years, at least when talking about the quarterback, it would always be the interceptions, which would be the big bugaboo, right? He's got to cut down on the turnovers. He's got to cut down on the mistakes. Well, here we are. And he's thrown one interception in the last six games. Just one. And remember, that one took a hell of a play by Patrick Sertan in Denver for him to secure that football, or else it would have been none in the last six games. But yet the offense still isn't firing. And you mentioned turnovers. Now the fumbles have been a problem inside the pocket because the pass rush seems to be relentless. It's weird how just, okay, you would think eliminating the mistakes and the INTs would allow this offense to be successful. But alas, here we are talking about it still not being able to function. Yeah, and and again, it's it's all a byproduct of uh, concentration. It's it's players' concentration. Those things aren't coaches' faults. Those those are players' faults. Um, 
you know, it's like anything else is you, you've got to be ready every single play out there. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very tough, a very fast game. And you can't afford to, to have mental lapses throughout a game. And that goes with uh, holding onto the ball in, in the pocket or when the minute you, you see that you've got to take off, you've got to have two hands on the ball, at least for the first three steps, uh, because you're not going to throw the ball. You know, you're running, and so you're not going to throw the ball, so grasp it with two hands. I mean, if, if the fact was he was stepping up to throw the ball, okay, that's a different issue. But when you're trying to, to elude the pass rushers, you got to hold the ball twice. But And, again, concentration on balls, catching balls, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. You got playmakers on this team or the ones that you do have on this team. You want to be able to get them the football, get them the football in space. Everybody talks about Brees Hall, and we know how good Brees Hall could be, but Brees Hall's not having a lot of room to run right now. Last few games, like the running game, has almost been non-existent, and that also, I would think, is nothing more than a byproduct of no legitimate passing games, so why should the opposing defense worry about anything other than stopping down the run? Well, you know, they're dropping the safeties down in the box, and so you have eight men in the box, and, you know, they're playing man-to-man, and they're going to play man-to-man until somebody beats them. No, that, no one's beating anybody. The only guy that's beating anybody is, is Garrett Wilson. What are you doing with him? You're covering him both. You're covering him on top. You're covering him inside, everything. So if for him to get a pass in, into Garrett Wilson, that's tough. I mean, if you target him 13 times, 14 times, you're lucky to, to, to be able to hit one 50% of the time. Meanwhile, all the other guys are covered man-to-man or whatever, and they're not getting open or they're dropping the balls or they're creating penalties. Or it, it, it's, it's very, very frustrating, and I, and I could see that on the faces of coaches out there. And you, you know what? It's frustrating for the defense, too, believe me. It doesn't mean they're going to get up and yell and scream and curse everybody out in the locker room. That's not the issue. Yeah. The issue is how frustrating it is and how mentally defeating it is to be able to keep up on the field all the time when you know you're going on the field and you're going, okay, do something. That's three and out. Do something. It's three and out. It's fumble the ball. Those are, that's tough. It's, it's, it is really mentally debilitating. Talking with Greg Buttle here on 98.7 ESPN. Jets Raiders coverage begins Sunday at 6 p.m. He and I right here on 98.7. You know, it's funny you talk about that potential friction between the two units, the offense and the defense. And you and I had Quincy Williams up with us in the postgame show on Monday night, and I asked that question directly to him, and he squelched that pretty good, saying not in that locker room. But you and I have spoken about that repeatedly because you were on that side for a long time, being a defensive player, maybe with the offense not doing their part. Is it something that's really difficult and something that you work really hard at trying to prevent from not getting carried away when one side is clearly outperforming the other on a football team? Let me tell you something. If those defensive guys aren't screaming at the offensive guys, I'd be surprised. I, I mean, I, I'm from from when they first started football to when they're playing now. You know, you're coming off the field, and you know, you, you just hold a guy three and out, and you're you're screaming at the offense. Do you think you guys can, you know, have a seven play drive? You know, you keep hold the ball, don't throw it away, and all of those things, but. It, the, 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 the thing is, is listen, the emotion in the game doesn't carry over during the weekend. And, and everybody, and I always look at it this way, too, because Walt Michaels used to say, listen, you're all getting paid. You're all getting paid to play. 
So do the do that first. Play first. And the winning will take care of itself. If you don't play well, you're not going to get paid, and you're not going to win. And so it's all about the money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you, a lot of guys are making a lot of money out there. And one guy, it doesn't matter where they are. They could have been on a winning team last year. Free agency comes around. They're leaving. They're going for the money. So, yes, winning is important. It certainly is important for fans and the franchises. But when it comes down to playing, you play for the money. You play as a professional. It's not an amateur sport. And you, you're going to get emotional through those games, and you'll have emotions you know, coming on and off the field. But the bottom line comes down to is that you have to play as a team no matter what, no matter who you hate, no matter who you like. You know, it doesn't matter. So go out there, play as hard and as fast and as smart as you can, and then see what happens. No fan in the world, have you and I ever done a, a, a program where the Jets lose 38-36 and everyone's cursing the defense out like there's no tomorrow? No, <laughs> nobody does. But when you, when you lose 14-13, they are cursing the offense out. Or you lose, or you, you, even if you win 14-12, you're cursing the offense out. The only thing that covers it up is a win. So it's a it's a it's a frugal game. It's a funny game, and uh, you know people's emotions get a lot about get get a lot to them, especially when you're fans and you're a fan that you you've been trying to watch the Jets win for so long. A lot of this stuff matters, but again, it's it's almost like uh, for a Jet fan, it's better to win it's better to lose thirty nine thirty six than it is to win or lose fourteen thirteen. You know, especially the way the offense has been playing now. Where, do you think this defense can even go to a higher level than what we've seen so far? Dan, I, you and I have had these conversations privately, um, and and I, I think D.J. Reed never compared the Jets' defense to the Bears' defense. He said, we'd like to be as good as that. We think we can be as good as the Bears. I will tell you something. If the Jets' offense could score two to three touchdowns a game, they'd be undefeated. And they, that defense would be murderous. You couldn't do anything against them. But that's not the way it is because the offense hasn't scored points. That's the difference between a Jets defense playing as well as they're playing and still, you know, you, you, giving some plays up here. And next thing you know is that the score is uh, 24 to 10 and you think that they got blown out. In reality, the Jets defense played as about as well as you could play, but circumstances uh, around the, the, uh, the game dictated that they got crushed. And so if the Jets' offense was able to score points, let me tell you, that, that Jet defense, they would be licking their chops and people would really be afraid of them because now they know what you're going to do offensively. Out there, you know, you, you, you're, you're taking their chances. They're all checking it down. They're throwing seven- and ten-yard passes. They can't throw it over the top of the Jets' defense. They're getting rid of the ball in two and a half seconds because the Jets' defense pressures everybody like crazy. So their offenses are the offenses that are in the game. That's the only way they're staying in the game is they don't turn the ball over because the ones that did are almost losing or they do lose right. the game. And and they're 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 making their offense work seven six yards at a time. You're not seeing them drop a pass. You're seeing them get open. And contest the balls they're winning. So a lot of this stuff here is is like a, it's almost like a mirror image, 
But that's more or less what I look at the Jets' offense that they have to do. They've got to shorten, shorten the routes, uh, hit quicker passes, break some tackles, don't drop a ball, don't fumble a ball, and stop with the penalties because those are the things that have killed the Jets in the red zone from coming out of, the, uh, of, of their, own, uh, their own territory, getting a turnover from the Jets' defense, and next thing you know, it's, it's second and 20. You know, all of those things matter, you know, and uh, you put them all together. Oh, it's the quarterback's fault. And yeah, he is. He's got a lot to, to uh, feel the blame, but it's not all the quarterback's fault. Last thing I want to hit you with is something about one of the first things that we dissect each and every game, and that is coming out of the gate in the first quarter. This team is a notoriously slow starter. They only have one first quarter touchdown all season long. Now, last week, I know you're a big proponent of this. You talk about it a lot each week. They came out and actually ran hurry up in the first quarter on Monday, and they were moving the football up and down the field, and then they had the two turnovers in Chargers territory, which kind of negated that whole thing. How can they start faster to where getting some points on the board to where they're not having to come from behind in each and every football game, it seems like? You know, Dan, it's just like anything else. Players play and coaches coach. Players have to make some plays. Let me tell you something. If they, last week, if, 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 if Allen doesn't make that circus catch, San Diego's not, not winning the game. He makes a circus catch to make a big difference. I think it was in the first half or whatever it was. But my thing is, is that players got to make plays. You know, you've given the chance. Don't drop the ball. Don't fumble it. Make plays. You know, defense, don't miss the tackle. Don't rough, don't rough the quarterback after he's halfway down on the ground. You know, you've got to be smarter than that. And each little thing matters when you're having a hard time trying to score points. So you've got to be more careful. Play a little more conservative. Uh, and, and you know what? The, the big play will open up for you. Well, and every opportunity they're going to have to cash in on because scoring points has become that much more of a – Difficulty for this team, certainly in 2023. We'll see if that changes, and we'll see if the defense can maybe put some points on the board with some turnovers in this game on Sunday against the young quarterback in Aiden O'Connell, who doesn't certainly have a lot of experience, and we'll see what happens. My friend, I thank you for a couple. Uh, you got it, buddy. Always, we'll always Sunday need to night, chat. Huh? You got it. <laughs> All right. I can't wait. All right. Yeah, Bye-bye. exactly. There's our buddy Greg Buttle. He'll be with me, of course, on the pre and the post game. Our coverage begins Sunday at 6 p.m. Jets Raiders and a big one for this Jets football team. We'll get more of your calls in here at 800-919-3776. Jordan Renan will join us coming up at 8.30 to talk some Giants. We'll do some NFL picks before we get out of here as well. Your calls, and I want to have a few cents here on the Jim Harbaugh saga with Michigan as the Big Ten ruled in their punishment for the embattled Michigan head coach earlier today. Grasa till 9 on a football Friday, 98.7 ESPN. Hello, Greg. How are you, sir? Oh, boy. Hello? This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. 
better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Sunday, like I said, 6 p.m. Jets Raiders coverage begins here on the channel. We'll have Jordan in about 10 minutes to talk a little Giants, or what's left of them for that matter. But earlier today, the Big Ten Conference decided to do the proverbial, you know, Friday late afternoon news drop regarding the Michigan and the Jim Harbaugh sign-stealing suspension. And I don't want to say that they threw the book at Michigan. That might even be a little harsh. Some people may be under-impressed right now or underwhelmed with what they decided. But essentially what happened was is that they ruled that for the remaining three games of the regular season, Harbaugh is not allowed to be on the sidelines for any of the games, which which presumably means he's not allowed up in the box either. He can't be in the stadium for these games for Michigan. But he's allowed to coach the team from Monday through Friday or from Sunday through Friday. He could coach the team. So practice, game planning, film study, press conferences, everything. He just can't coach on game day, which, hey, I understand that, you know, there's some decisions that need to be made over the course of a 60-minute football game. Absolutely. But cooking the meal is, I think, the most important thing, and you're still allowing Harbaugh to do that. And what I mean is devising a game plan, doing all the things that are necessary throughout the week so where you have a plan kind of already put into place when you go out there on the field. And by the way, this was the Big Ten Conference with the ruling today, not the NCAA. Okay, It was the conference, not the NCAA. And Michigan is ticked off for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're saying to themselves, well, wait a sec, why are you as the Big Ten under any sort of authority to be able to issue a punishment if you're not the NCAA? That's their contention, number one. And the reason they do this, and if, you, and if you read the wording carefully, if you read the document or the cliff notes or whatnot, they levied the punishment down at the school, not Jim Harbaugh. And the reason they did that in saying that Michigan are the ones that are found liable and Michigan should have known better, and they were the ones as a football institution that were wrong. And Harbaugh being the so-called figurehead is how he got lumped into this whole thing. But the reason the Big Ten does that is because it protects them for any sort of potential legal game of ping pong that the school, which you know, is going to throw back right at them. Because if they attack the school and not the individual, that kind of covers their tracks a little bit. The funny part about it, though, to me, was that the ruling came down while Michigan was in the air flying to State College, Pennsylvania, for their game tomorrow against Penn State. Now, the remaining games, they got Penn State, they got Maryland, they got Ohio State. Penn State's the biggest game on their schedule until Ohio State rolls around in a couple of weeks. 
and Harbaugh's not going to be around for that one. They've already went ahead, apparently, and issued an emergency temporary restraining order, has the school, I'm saying, because then you need time to be able to sift through that whole thing, and while that is going on, Harbaugh would be able to coach. At least that's what their hope is, because say what you want, and I'm no fan of Michigan, and I'm no fan of Harbaugh, and I think that this is shady. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But it is kind of weak for them to have this thing come down literally less than 24 hours from when the game is going to kick off. You got the guy already en route to go coach the game, and now you're going to drop this ruling down like it couldn't have waited until Monday? It's already gone on this long, or were you just trying to stick it to him right before an important game like you have against Penn State? Is that what they were doing? Like if Michigan was playing one of the bottom feeders, for example, in the Big Ten tomorrow, is this coming down today? Or do they want to make a statement because it was a national game, right? All eyeballs going to be on it. I think it's a Fox game tomorrow. Michigan, Penn State, everybody's going to be talking about it. They wanted to get their name out there a little bit like, hey, don't think about crossing us. Don't even think about it. And look, by the way, whatever happens and how this whole thing kind of plays itself out, one thing I know to be a 1,000% true is that Jim Harbaugh is going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen to Jim Harbaugh. Now, look, his reputation might be tarnished a little bit on the collegiate ranks, but you know as well as I do that if it does get to be a little too hot in the kitchen, guess what's going to happen to Harbaugh? He's going to leave at the end of the year, and he's going to go to the NFL, right? I know that he just got the new contract, or they were going to give him a new contract, and then this whole thing happened. He'll go to the NFL because you could go to the next level, and nobody cares what you did in college. They don't. I mean, as long as you don't break the law. But something like this, there's a slap on the wrist. Shoot, you've got dudes in the NFL, coaches in the NFL, who are doing worse things. And we know that when it comes to cheating. You think this really matters? You think that, like, Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the NFL and then everybody around the league is going to be like, oh, how dare you let this guy into the league to be a coach? Duh, come on. Please. So, you know what? You might be looking at the end of Harbaugh at Michigan. So what? He'll go to the NFL and he'll be a great coach there, just like he was the first time around. I said, for my money, those years that he was in San Francisco, what was it, 2010 to 12 or 13, whatever it was, but especially those first three years, and I know the 49ers never won a championship, but they got to the Super Bowl and he lost to his brother. Those first three years, I thought that that 49er team was as well coached, as hard to prepare for, and it's tough to play against on a week-in, week-out basis than any team in the NFL. Seriously. And I thought that this dude was going to win multiple Super Bowls coaching this team. Multiple Super Bowls. That's how tough an opponent they were. And you knew that going up against then, you were going to have to strap on that helmet and be in for a war. And I have little doubt that wherever he ends up next year, if it is indeed in the NFL, he's going to make that program a winner in short order. 800-919-3776. Let's say hi to Jose in Brooklyn. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Jose? How we doing? Hey, good uh, oh, good evening, Dan. Shout out to the company. And I was just listening to your horrible stuff, which is definitely, you know, I definitely remember those teams. And, you know, a lot of uh, – I. I do think like a lot of that team was definitely um, 
from like there was a great middle linebacker in Patrick Willis who was a beast and it was filled with a bunch of those dudes that were just all, all over the place and Justin if you Smith remember, on the defensive line he was got oh, like yeah. an all pro with like two positions I mean they were and, stacked and if anyone wants to remember how crazy that that defense was just look at the NFC championship game against the Giants and what they put Eli through in that mm-hmm. game, and you know why so many people respect Eli Manning, even uh, and don't think he's overrated when it comes to his history. So, I'll, I'll, um, Jose, it's funny you bring that up real quick because I've always said the three games with three the three quarterbacks like the worst beatings I've ever seen a mm-hmm. quarterback take in a football game when they exactly. and, and managed to finish the game as well in no particular order. Eli in that NFC Championship game against San Francisco. Brett Favre when he was a Viking in that championship game against the Saints in Oof, 2009. Yeah. And Jeff Hostetler mm-hmm. in Super Bowl 25 when the Giants played the Bills. He took a beating that day. <laughs> no, those, those are good. Those are good ones. And, yeah, so I, I definitely, you know, remember those defenses. But um, to the jet point, and my – Concern with the Jets, and I, I, and you know me, I love Greg Buttle, great, great Jet legend and everything, and just listening to what he had to say. The, the And everything he said is true. The problem is, is I find those situations, like I don't think, I don't see Garrett Wilson fumbling the ball all the time. I don't see, you know, the, uh, now Lazard dropping the pass, that's something I've seen them even do in Green Bay. So that doesn't surprise me. It's more of the fact that they haven't really gotten a lot of weapons or a lot of production. But I also do think that that is partly on the quarterback as well. Because uh, if we had someone that was a little bit better, I do think that uh, you would see Conklin and other guys be utilized a little more. So my concern is, is, which one is it better for the Jets? Is it better that they, you know, win the game and continue on and still try to hope for the fantasy of Aaron Rodgers, you know, playing at the end of the season or, you know, possibly bottoming out and, you know, really seeing what we already know, which is, you know, Zach Wilson is never going to be the answer. No, I don't think – I mean, look, I, I think we've already been down that road, Jose, and I thank you for the phone call. No, you try to win games. Because and this has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. Let's let's talk under the premise that he's not coming back. The team is good enough to stay in the hunt till the very end. The defense is too good, right? So you might as well try to win as many games as possible. See if you can make it interesting. Because if I told you that hey they sneak into the playoffs this year, even if they get annihilated in the first round, given everything that's happened to them this year, you would take that. You take that as opposed to let's say a six-game losing streak like they had last year to finish out the season. And I don't think that you can just root for them to bottom out, as Jose put it, because, like I said, I don't think that the defense allows that to happen. It's too good on that side of the ball. They're going to win their share of games. You might as well try to make it interesting and see if you can at least sneak in the playoffs and have something to show for it this year. Because, yeah, two's not going to be the quarterback next year. We know that. But you also want to hope that eight is going to be the quarterback for more than four plays. But is it wrong to maybe start thinking about a contingency plan down the road as to who's going to be the quarterback for when Rodgers is not playing football anymore? Yeah, they're going to have to have that discussion at some point in time for sure. All right, we come back. We'll talk a little giant football. Our buddy is Jordan Renan, covers him for ESPN. He's next. Then we'll do our NFL picks. Grass until 9 o'clock on a football Friday, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN.
Oh, you love that music, don't you? November football, big divisional game, gets you all fired up. And then you got the Giants playing the Cowboys on Sunday. 17-point dogs. One guy who's going to be there to take it in is our good buddy. He, of course, covers the Giants for ESPN, and he is really looking forward to the trip. It's Jordan Renan. Ain't that right, Jordan? Absolutely. Come on. You go 17-point underdogs, Dan. The <laughs> single biggest underdog in the NFL this season. And guess who was the second biggest underdog? It was also the, the Giants. The Giants. In Buffalo. In Buffalo. <laughs> and think about how that one turned out. Fred and actually could have sort of won the game. Yeah. So you know what? Lady Luck might be smiling on the Giants again this Sunday. What do you think? I am actually going to be optimistic here for you. I think the Giants are going to keep this game close. I do. I think that their defense, they did not play well last week in Oakland. I said Oakland again. I keep doing that. That's all right. It's the same thing. It's a big difference when you go there, let me tell you. But, uh. Much much better trip to uh, Las Vegas. But their defense is going to bounce back and play a much better game. I still think that's a good unit. I think we all agree that that's a unit that could play well. Uh, they do have Saquon Barkley. Uh, he's been playing well again uh, since he came back from that high ankle sprain. And the offensive line is actually in the best shape that it's been in at any point this season. Now that Andrew Thomas is back, Justin Pugh has been able to slide over to left guard. Dan Bredesen's back at guard where he's a much better player. So I do think they'll be able to run the ball, play good defense. Now, I don't know how much they're going to be able to get out of the passing game. But I do, for some reason, I just I think they're going to keep it close because nobody thinks they have any chance to keep this game close. No, I mean, obviously, and that's why Vegas set the line at what they did here. Now, big picture, and I normally am not an advocate for this. I, I, I feel you should go out there and try to win games. But you're ready at that Uh-oh. point of the season the where you're 2-7. What's the, what's the M.O. for the rest of the year? I know what the locker room is going to say, but realistically speaking, what should the message be for this team the rest of the year? I think it means, hey, we need to you know, get, get the ship right and show that this, like, what we were was what we are. Like the 2-7 and seven is more a byproduct of, hey, it's more injuries than we're just a terrible team, right? Because this was a team that with pretty much the same players made the playoffs last year. Okay, so... I, I think they think with Andrew Thomas, like their excuse is, hey, we were just so banged up. Now, they're still without Darren Waller. Daniel Jones is obviously out for the season. Tyrod Taylor's still out. Those are big, big losses. But, you know, they traded Leonard Williams, too. Sure. But we're, we're looking at this team, and I think for them, it's all right, let's show that we still are a team headed in the right direction, that we, it was just injuries and bad luck that we just you know, couldn't get it going early this season. So I think that's what it is here going down the stretch. And uh, we'll kind of see what they have. There were starting to be some cracks that showed last week. I, I think you, you saw that the last few weeks in regards to guys getting frustrated, which is the real test of Brian Dable here is, okay, did he really build a coach, culture? What did he really build last year? Like, you know, it's easy when everything is going well. It gets tested when things don't go well, and I think that's where we're at right now. I legitimately feel bad for Daniel Jones. No, I'm being a thousand percent serious. I, I, I really feel bad with the way everything is kind of unfolded. I know he got his money, but just being on the field, these guys want to play. They're professionals. They're competitors. Mm-hmm. Where do you think things stand right now, at least looking ahead to the immediate with next year and his spot on this team? Like, What do you think his role is? He's owed 35 
and a half million dollars. So Daniel Jones' role is on the Giants, uh, whether that's as a starting quarterback, whether that says, all right, go compete with a top 10 pick quarterback. But I, I don't see Daniel Jones not being part of this team next year. Like, he'll have to go out, though, and prove it. And his only way to stay on the roster is because they're likely, if you're drafting in the top five, three, five, seven, ten, 10, is going to be, okay, how do you pass up on a quarterback? So, okay, well, then go out there and show that you're, you know, you're too good to sit on the bench. You know, go out there and prove you're better than – you know, Caleb Williams or, uh, you know, the, the North, the Drake May. I was about to call him Bryce Purdy. I don't know why. Uh, Drake May, and go out there and show that you're at that level. Like you're better than these guys. I think that's kind of how he's going to have to look at it and where everything stands. And, you know, I think we'll see how everything unfolds this year, next year and then move on from there. But the money dictates he's going to be on this roster. The Giants are going to need a second quarterback anyway. So he's already on the roster, so I would be surprised if he's not that guy. I mean, nine months from now it takes you till August. So I would expect and, him to kind of be back by the beginning of next year. And the good thing about it, too, is, and look, we can all uh, expect them to probably bring in another quarterback, probably a rookie. Daniel Jones is one of right. those guys who's not going to upset the apple cart either, which I think is good. That I don't know if he's going to necessarily be a mentor to whoever that is, but he's not going to be somebody that's going to divide the locker room and ruffle feathers, which is, I guess, somewhat good to have on your side, all things considered. Yeah. Remember, that, that, and Eli Manning always said this, that his job isn't to go out there and to mentor Daniel Jones. His job is to play football. Now, he's not going to intentionally not help the guy, and he was going to help him you know, along the way because that's his personality, but that's his, but his job, he always said this flat out, his job was not to go mentor Daniel Jones. Tommy DeVito is going to give it another crack mm-hmm. here this week. I know it's another week of practice. I guess another week of being a little bit more familiar with the ones and that sort of thing. From a schematic sca- standpoint, what mm-hmm. can they do differently that they've tried to do the first couple of weeks with him since taking over? Try to find ways to just move him out of the pocket, get him on the move. You saw that as we went along here. If you just have him go sit back there, things will look like they're moving quick for him. But in the second half, when he did get on the move, when he did have time, when he was, you know, he was able to sort of improvise and make plays. Like, that's what he does best. So I think that's what you want to do here. Run, play action, move the pocket, those kind of things. You don't want to put too much on his shoulders because this is a tough landing spot for any quarterback. This Dallas defense on the road in Dallas, uh, you want to try to minimize what you're asking Tommy DeVito to do in this spot. Undrafted rookie has to start. How about this, Dan? Mm-hmm. Tommy DeVito, right, is the starting quarterback of the New York Giants. I think this is amazing in a way. He still lives at home. He lives at home with his parents. Does he really? A, like the perfect, the perfect storm. Think about it. He's an undrafted rookie who lives nine miles from the practice facility, right? So it just made sense for him to, yeah, you know what, I'll just stay at home. Let me just get settled, see if I stay on this team, make the team, all that. And now the starting quarterback of the Giants is living at home. I was, I was, I've been looking to see the last Giants player that like lived at home. It obviously has to be the perfect storm because well, I remember, you have to play in your hometown. I remember back in 2015 when Steven Matz was a rookie with the Mets and they were in the World Series. I remember them doing the story because he grew up on Long Island. He slept in his mm-hmm. parents' house and woke up in his childhood bed and then drove to City Field to pitch game, what was it, game four of the World Series. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, it's, just, it, it's, just, it, it's such like a, a great local story, you know what I mean? 
like a local kid, gets to live at home in this small town, Cedar Grove, that he grew up in, be the starting quarterback for the New York Giants. It would be a great story if he went in there in Dallas and was able to win a game as a starter in the NFL. I, I Talking think, with Jordan I think Renan. And, and he's, he's very likable. He's a really likable young man. Like, really likable. He's like... Sorry, it's, a, it's, it's a hell of a story. It's a hell of – I mean, look, I understand that he's probably not going to win a lot of games, but the fact that he's doing this, if you would have told him as a kid that this would be his future playing for this team in the NFL, he would have thought you were crazy. Say what you want about Tommy DeVito. He now has a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and is about to log a start on his career resume as a rookie. Okay? You know, this is a guy who basically lost his starting job at Syracuse and then you know, put himself in the transfer portal and end up at Illinois. And think about what he just logged on. He didn't get drafted. And think about what he just logged on his resume. Like, you know, tell your grandkids. I threw a touchdown pass in the NFL. I started a game against the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL. Uh, a win would sort of really uh, elevate that and make this a really cool story. I'm, ro- I'm rooting for it for, from the story perspective. It would be a great story to, be, you know, to write and, and chronicle. Well, how about this you could throw in your story? The last two games, the Giants have two offensive touchdowns. Tommy DeVito, the Jets have one. <laughs> Together, those two teams, by the way, are averaging the Jets and Giants. So two local teams, Dan. <laughs> 24 points per game. Combined! Combined! Oh in the NFL! Oh my what goodness. are we doing? What oh are we doing? Gosh. Oh, maybe we should just play like video games when the offense is set to come on the field. Like they could have just like a Madden simulation and maybe it'll be a little bit better when that happens. (laughs) Real quick, I got a question for you about, you know, the Xavier McKinney stuff that came out after the game. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad that Wink Martindale addressed it regarding the leaders in the room and not being heard. And I'm glad that Wink tackled it the way that it did. Now, that's the first potential sign of any sort of rift or animosity in that locker room. Do you think that this is something that's going to continue to gain steam with still, what, eight more weeks to go in a season which is going nowhere? I think from talking to people in the locker room, first of all, when this, something like this happens, it's what happened after the game was that I asked McKinney, and it was just me standing there talking to him on the record, you know, microphone right in front of him, saying, you know, how tough is it to lose your quarterback likely for the season? And he's like, it's tough. And then he just went on about this leadership thing. And I was like, man, uh, honestly, my follow-up question was like, what are you talking about? You know, like, I asked you about the quarterback. So it was obviously on the top of his mind. It was something that bothered him. Now, when he bothers one guy, he's usually not a lone wolf, right? He's usually at least talking to other people. There's other people there who at least have similar thoughts. So that was, that was my line of thinking. But the more I go and ask around the locker room, but while I, I don't think he's compl- it's completely isolated, I do think it's not something that's festering, at least now, that it was that was just sort of frustration because they laid a dud in Oakland. Uh, in Oakland, right. I did it again in Las Vegas. So, that's right. You know how many times I, I did it Monday night with the Chargers? I said in my head, San Diego, and it almost came out on the air. Yeah, well, it happens. I mean, I, that's how they it should be. The, uh, the, the, the commanders, the football team, the R-words, you know, twice a year, it's, that's a tough one also. Can't you get grow that up right. on it. You but no, I mean, expect to I, don't, I don't think it's something that portends future problems going forward here. Now, it is something that Brian Dable in general just has to keep an eye on because this is what happens when things go bad in the NFL, right? 
Yep. When things go bad, these kind of problems pop up. And uh, that's why this second half of the season for him is going to be a huge test on can he keep this group and can he keep all these guys together. Losing does not put out fires. It only spreads them, unfortunately. Jordan, great stuff as always, my friend. Safe travels down yeah. to Dallas, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Will do, Daniel. Sounds good. Yeah, the only culture, by the way, and I always say this, in the NFL is winning. That's true. That is the, that is the cure-all, my friend. Be good, as always. There's Jordan Ron right, take care, Dan. Covering the Giants for us here at ESPN. We come back, the Grasso Week 10 NFL picks. That's right. 98.7 ESPN.